In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The death clock is a cult internet sensation. And maybe it's because it's so straightforward. At the top of the, the website called Death Clock, and, and you can Google it later, it, it says this, Welcome to the Death Clock, the Internet's friendly reminder that, that life is slipping away second by second. Then right below this, this nifty little straightforward message, you can enter your personal information. You can enter your birth date, your sex, whether you're a smoker or not, your BMI, your body mass index, whether you're active or not, and your mood, whether you're pessimistic, optimistic, or just plain normal. And then the death clock will spit out for you, very quickly, your personal day of death. In order to prepare for this sermon, I entered my personal information into the death clock. And up popped this little window, and it says right in the window, your personal day of death is March 7, 2055. And then I could watch, and I, and I did. I watched it for quite a while. I, I contemplated it, and I watched second by second my little life slipping away. And for anyone contemplating your own death clock, well, it's, it's sobering. I only found out about the death clock after I've read about Stephen Petro's experience with the death clock itself. He, he had been talking with his therapist for, for, for quite a long time about, about living a more meaningful life. And, and he knew that the life that he was living really wasn't that meaningful because he would go to work and basically sleep through the whole work week only wishing that the weekend would come. He knew that something was wrong. But he was afraid. He was afraid to make the changes in his life that he felt he needed to. He was afraid to quit his job because he didn't want to lose the money. And he didn't quit his job because of that fear until he contemplated his own personal death clock. And that very same day, he quit his job. And this is why I want to read to you, in his own words, the reasons why he quit his job after thinking about his own personal death clock. He said, now a new fear, the tick-tock of the clock, squashed the pecuniary one, and the decision to leave my job seemed like a Gladwell no-brainer. So in effect, what Stephen Petro did was he exchanged the lesser fear of losing his money and his job for a greater fear. And I'm going to say it in a little different way without judging him at all. Fear of death was controlling his behavior. I understand this fear, and I'm willing to bet that you do too. Because we could say about death that, that death is the very best 
prison keeper, prison warden that there ever has been. And we could also say that a tomb is the most solitary, smallest, most confined prison cell that that's ever been created. I remember my family, this sound, might sound weird, but we used to sing Christian hymns in my family home when I was growing up. And one of the hymns that we would often sing made my soul fearful. And I don't know whether it was the claustrophobia that I suffer from or maybe my fear of death, but this lyric always, always troubled my soul. At least it made me a little bit thoughtful. There's a Christian hymn that says, Teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. There is nothing that will fill a person more quickly with fear and, and will control them than contemplating the very real death clock that is counting down for each one of us. I mean, imagine it with me now. Above each person's head in this room, a clock is counting down. And I don't know what's worse, knowing that there's a clock over my own head, counting down to my own personal death, which apparently is March 7, 2055, or the fact that, that the life, the wife, whom I love with my whole heart, has one. And my two beautiful children, whom I love also with my whole heart, also have a death clock. And wouldn't it be awful to actually know the time? And wouldn't it be even worse if, if they had less time on their clock than I did? See, if we let it, death will control us and fill it with fear. It, it, death is more than happy to already be our jailer. The women walking to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday, they perhaps knew the power of death and the pain that it brings maybe better than we do. In today's culture, we often take our dead and we hide them away immediately in a funeral home and we don't get to touch them. It's illegal. But in that day, there was no funeral home to take care of all the preparations, so the women had to do it. The women were, were not going to that cemetery on Easter Sunday to celebrate a risen Jesus. They were going there to finalize the arrangements, to anoint His body and then leave Him there. Because they, too, were controlled by the fear and power of death. In their minds, they thought there is no way that he is alive, even though he said he would be alive. There's no way that he is alive, so we are going to go there and finish his burial. And there's no sadder task in the world than preparing a dear friend for burial. While the women were on the way to the tomb, Jesus conquered death. Let's let Matthew tell us the story. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Every time that God acts in power and in love, every time that God decides to change the course of events in this world, the angels are. When Jesus was born, the angels were there to sing. And now an angel descends from heaven every time that God decides to act in power and in love. Every time that God decides to change the course of events in this world, there's an earthquake. When the Son of God died for the sins of the world, the earth shook. And the temple curtain tore in two. And now the earth shakes again. There's angels there. The earth is shaking. Something big has happened. Matthew continues. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. It's always the angels, it's always the blessed angels that get to share the joy of the mighty acts of God. And here the angel starts from the negative side. He says, He's not here. And then he he looks at it from the positive angle. He says, they haven't just moved his body. The impossible has happened. The incredible, the unbelievable has happened. He has risen from the dead. He has broken out of the greatest prison tomb that has ever existed. He's alive. It's even better for the women. As they are running, they didn't walk. They ran. They literally run into Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And this is the best part. The man that they had seen hang on a cross three days before. The man who they had taken down from the cross limped and then laid in a tomb. The man who had blood spill out of his side to prove that he was dead. Now he stands in front of them. Alive. Wow. Resurrected. And he says in a very understated way, because you can imagine the women were very emotional about this. He says, simply says, greetings. And there was nothing left to do. There was nothing left for the women to do except fall on their faces, grasp his feet, and worship. See, today, 
There is a fact that is staring us in the face. And, and we're not going to divert our attention to anything else here today. And, and we don't even have time to explain all the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to do that in the coming weeks in our brand new sermon series that I'll tell you about later today. We're just going to stand there with the women and understand this incontrovertible fact and let the impossible stare us right in the face. Three days earlier, Jesus' body had been laid dead in a tomb. And when the angel opened the tomb back up again, his body wasn't there. Because he rose. This fact is going to stare us in the face for the rest of the day. Before this, death had had a perfect record. Death is better than Alcatraz Island at keeping its prisoners in the jail cell. And then for the first time in the history of the world, by his own power, he took up his own life after he had laid it down and walked out of the tomb. Possums are incredibly foolish, they say. And maybe you know that because for some reasons, possums have a really hard time crossing the road safely. So much so that we find their dead bodies scattered along the road. But they say about possums, I have no way of knowing if this is true, they say about possums that they are also especially intelligent. They say that, that a possum will not enter a hole in the ground unless they see tracks going into the hole and tracks coming out of the hole. Because a possum must think to him or herself, if there's only tracks going in, there might be a trap there. Death might be waiting for me there. But if they see tracks going in and then tracks going out, well, they think, well, it must be safe because someone has already entered and come out. See, that's the lesson of Easter. We can enter the hole of the ground that we call a tomb and not be afraid because there are tracks going into the tomb and now there are tracks going right back out. This is a simple incontrovertible fact that stares us in the face. Now before the beginning of the sermon, we imagine that there's a death clock above everybody's head, even a death clock above the, of the, above the heads of the people that we love. Now I want you to imagine a new post-Easter world. And now, instead of having a death clock that counts down to the day of our own personal death, we have a clock that counts up. And it began counting from the day that you began to hope, really hope, in Jesus' resurrection. Now instead of having a death clock that counts down over the ones that we love, now there's a clock that counts up. 
from the day they began to have more joy than fear, from the day they began to hope instead of being afraid. Now we have a clock that doesn't just count down to the end. At a clock that counts up for all eternity. Now I want you to imagine a world where fear doesn't control us. Not in any way. It used to be that, that fear kept us in jobs that we hated. And, and, and that, that fear made us quit that job that we hated because we're more fearful now of death. But in this brave new post-Easter world, we can make decisions not because of fear of losing our job or that life isn't meaningful. We can make decisions in hope. In this brave new Easter world, fear doesn't rule us and not even a death clock counting down to the personal day of our death can change us. Because hope controls us, not fear. This is the world that I live in. Uh, for the purposes of this sermon, I decided while, while I write this sermon, I'm going to put right next to the, to the word processor my own personal death clock. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see, is this going to make me want to quit my job? Well, it didn't. Obviously, because I'm still here, right? But, but I could say that the death clock did affect me in a certain way because, because it gave me more joy on Easter. Because I know that the death clock is really nothing but a lie. And that the truth is that my clock is counting up. This is the world that we live in. This is a world that I live in. Not, not a world that, that ends in death, but a world that ends in life. This is a world that I live in, not where fear controls us, but where hope does. This is a world that we live in, not, not where, where death always ends in defeat, but in victory. This is the world that I live in. This is the world that you live in. This is the world that we live in because Christ is risen, risen to free us.